you have to focus on what your core competencies are. And the average entrepreneur only has one to three things that they're good at. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, episode 100. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. You sounded like you were announcing somebody on a game show. That was quite... <laughs> Come on down. Come on down. <laughs> this is the centenary episode of the Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, and... It's the big season finale. It's the last episode of the season. Wow. I haven't done that for ages. It's not been long enough. I've been holding that trumpet in for such a long time. Hashtag the name of your sex tape. (laughs) That was was just a little... That was inappropriate. You've gone too far. Hey, this is Rob and Kennedy. Hello. He's Kennedy from Response Suite. (laughs) And we're just doing Brooklyn Nine-Nine references now, are we? Yeah, exactly. Is that what's happening on the show? Yes, it is. We're here. We've hit episode 100 of the first season of Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. Of course, if you love podcasts and you want to keep hearing us and you're going to miss us because when we're not here every week, because we won't be here, then make sure you go check out the email marketing show where we are going to be every single week talking to marketers, other email marketers and talking among ourselves about the latest techniques, not talk, not talking to you. I was going to say, you said that very, very well. That was good. <laughs> about, about email marketing and how you can use it to grow your business. Because at the end of the day, email marketing is respected as the single most reliable and scalable channel for getting a return on investment and making sales above all the social medias and everything else. Probably because you own the data, right? So do go and search for The Email Marketing Show on your favorite podcast player and on uh, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the places. YouTube even. Even on YouTube, you'll find it there as well. Or you can go to uh, blog.responsesuite.com slash show. And you can even get involved in the show. It's a really interactive show with, if you've not listened to it yet, by the way, I know most of our listeners here are listeners of the, of the email marketing show, but you'll know it's a totally different format. We play different games, do different stuff, different segments, and it's really good fun as well, hmm. as you'd imagine. Now, today we are talking about outsourcing and building your team in a really, really smart way. We're chatting with Nathan Hirsch from FreeUp, with three E's in it, freeup.com. Now, we should point out that since we recorded this amazing interview- It was a while ago. It was way before Christmas. I was dead excited when Nathan reached out about being on this podcast because he's been doing some amazing things with some great companies. Um, Nathan has actually sold freeup.com. It's been acquired by The Hoff, uh, H-O-T-H, the massive SEO company, uh, which is going to be a great move forward for FreeUp, I'm sure. They're going to be able to expand the team even more and just do some amazing, amazing things. I've watched Nathan's sort of video where he explains why the sale's happening and you meet the CEO of the Hoff and stuff like that. And I think it's going to be a really, really good move. So everything we're going to talk about is still completely, completely relevant. Nathan obviously has a wealth of expertise in this space, having grown FreeUp from nothing to $12 million a year in revenue, yep. build an amazing team over there. So everything in the episode is still relevant. Obviously, FreeUp, we assume, is going to continue continue working in the same way and everything is is as was. We don't know, but we assume. Uh, but everything's still totally relevant. So if you hear uh, any weird so. references to the fact that he's the CEO and stuff like that, and that's not the case right now, that's just kind of why. Yeah. All right. Without further ado, for the final time, let's introduce our final guest of this season of Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. Here's Nathan. Hey, Nathan, welcome to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. How's it going, dude? 
I am doing great. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing amazing, man. Thank you so much for being here because you, you were going to talk about one of the big challenges we all have as people who started off probably working from the spare bedroom or the living room, dining room table. And one day we wake up and realize, crap, I've made a job for myself. I've become employed by myself with the pressures of customers and scaling my business. And suddenly I'm overwhelmed. So we're going to talk about working with freelancers, hiring, scaling, working with remote teams. That's your bag. That's your specialism. But before we get into how to do that and the kinds of people we should be going into working with, I want to open up this big sort of theoretical discussion, which we don't often do on the show, around when do we hire the next person? So when we're thinking, it might be useful for some people hiring their first freelancer, their first outsource person, or their next one, when do we do that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they're, they're so obsessed with getting that perfect time right. <laughs> and I think the longer you're in this industry, the longer that you start to hire, you realize you're never going to get that perfect time for hiring. You're either going to do it too late or you're going to do it a little bit too early. And if you do it too late, well, there's not a financial cost. There's a huge opportunity cost that you're missing. And I think more and more as you gain experience as an entrepreneur, you realize you have to be hiring people in advance. You have to hire people early before you need them. And as your businesses grow, you can adapt, you can increase hours, whatever you want to do. And I tend to be the type of person that I talk to clients all day that I don't go in and say, you need to hire this person right now. That's not really my job or my role because we're all in a different place in our business. And I'm sure we'll talk about this, but a lot of entrepreneurs that are stuck in the day-to-day operations and they need to get out of them or projects are just building up that they can't do at a high level and they need a specialist to do them or they're taking on something that they're not really good at and they need to hire someone that's an expert that can bring their expertise to the table and and execute strategy. So I think you have to figure out where in your business you are and then you have to figure out where does that time make sense in terms of your budget and your business growth. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get into the whole idea of, I really want to unpack with you a bit later on, the idea of sometimes you hire a person who brings their expertise to the table and you sort of like trust them to like be the old, all-knowing guru of that thing. And we have one of those here. We've also made a response with the other hire that you can make, which is the person who you are upskilling and they're sort of shadowing you for a bit and you're hoping they're going to take their own way. We're going to definitely get into that. But I suppose there's another question before we get to it. Yeah. I mean, how do you decide of all the things that you have to do as a sort of loan entrepreneur? How do you decide what you want to take off your plate first? What is the skill or the task or the job within yourself that you want to replace first? Yeah. So if we're just talking about getting out of day-to-day operations, what I like to do, and I do this every quarter, is I make a list of all the things that, that I do in a given day, in a given week. And I like to prioritize them from easiest to hardest. And I'll also put a dollar value next to each task. It might be a $5 an hour task, a $15 an hour task, And I kind of know my hourly rate. If you're an entrepreneur that's experienced, you've been doing it for a while, maybe your time's worth $500 an hour. If you're just starting a business and you have no revenue, your your time might be worth nothing. But you need to figure out what your hourly rate is. You need to prioritize from easiest to hardest. And you need to write in how many hours a week you're actually spending on these tasks. Hey, I'm spending 10 hours a week on emails, five hours a week on bookkeeping work, whatever that is. And then I like to prioritize it from easiest to hardest and figure out what is a quick way for me to just get my hours back. What would I do with an extra five, 10 hours in a week? And you go down that list. And and especially if you're new to hiring, if you haven't hired many people, 
it, it becomes challenging, but you can kind of push yourself on how far you can get down that list before you get really uncomfortable. And if you do get too far down, it usually means you need to focus on your systems and your processes before you keep going and outsourcing more and more. It's really interesting. When you, t- when you look at productivity as well, if you look at the return you're getting for any activity, one of the things I love to do is I'll sort of write down all the activities that I'm doing and I look at what are the, what are the three things I could possibly do whether there's sort of four things you could possibly do with each activity. One of them is to do it more because it's really good. The second thing you can do is uh, stop doing it because you're spending time on it and it's getting no return or it's not good for you. The next one is create a system that replaces you, like an automation or some kind of system. And the last one, of course, is to, to outsource it. So that really speaks to that, doesn't it? Yeah, I love what you said in the stop doing it. I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs struggle it. They just keep adding tasks, keep adding tasks. They they almost feel like because they're doing this busy work, busy work, they're working on their business, and they don't realize that they can just eliminate things. Not everything has to get done. Just because someone says that you have to post on, on social media, um, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to for your business. It's something you can pull back and, and you can reevaluate later. So there, there's a lot of factors in there that you can eliminate. And like you said, figuring out how to build the system for it and, and what to hire for it is one of the keys to being an entrepreneur. I love your description of prioritizing how important something is or how difficult it is. Actually, one of the things I guess people probably have to be careful with is making sure they don't uh, start leaving themselves with the things they enjoy doing because it's fun. Whereas right. that may not be the most effective thing for you as the business owner to be I doing. I think there's probably a space for that though. There, there probably is. Yes. Yeah. So I guess that's my question is, 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 is there a danger that we end up doing the things that are fun, but not important or not productive and don't have to be done by us? Or Christ, the opposite. Out. We stop doing all the stuff we really enjoy doing and just doing the stuff that's, that's productive and profitable. So where does fun balance into this, I guess? Yeah. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't, they can't identify what they're really good at. They might be really good at sales, for example, but they hate doing sales, but their whole business depends on them doing sales. And they try to outsource the sales first when really they're not good at content. They're not good at sourcing, whatever it is. And they should be hiring those experts around them. And sales should be the last thing they outsource, even though it might not be the most fun thing. Now, there's two sides of that, right? I mean, what's the point of, of being an entrepreneur if you're doing eight hours a day of things that you hate? But if we're just talking about sound entrepreneurial decisions to maximize as your business grows, you have to focus on what your core competencies are. And the average entrepreneur only has one to three things that they're good at. Right. Right. No, totally. Absolutely. So well, that's a good starting point to work out what are those one to three things yeah, you're really good yeah. at. No kidding. No kidding. What am I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't afford the dead air space while you figure it out. <laughs> um, the thing is, when, you, when you're hiring people, whether it's on site like we have here at Response Suite, or if you're hiring freelancers, there's two types of people. We sort of started talking about this earlier on. There's two sort of types of hires you make. One of them is the, the missing skills gap that you have. And for us, developing Response Suite, Rob and I are not technical whatsoever. We, like we say this often, we don't know our semicolon from our backside we really don't. We couldn't have developed this amazing tool. So we had to hire a developer who's highly skilled, extremely experienced, and that's great. Whereas we are experienced in marketing and sales. So when we hired our second hire, which is Grace, who's our content marketing person and among so many other jobs in the office here, we hired someone who was looking for a career change, who had no experience and was looking to almost shadow us and have some mentors to do that. Two very different types of hire. How do you figure out what's your sort of process for deciding 
that type of higher, especially because it's easy when you do it in in house because you kind of can meet them and you can sort of see what's going on. But like when you're doing a, this with a freelancer, what do you want to? How do you want to mix that up? Yeah. So I, I'm obviously biased. I, I own a, a remote platform. I only hire remote. I have no office. I, I work out of a home office and, and I'm pretty much a digital nomad. I can be anywhere at any given time. And for me, the, the keys that I look for is skill, attitude, and communication. And this kind of goes for any hire, but the attitude and the communication becomes even more and more important when you get towards remote hiring, because it doesn't really matter if I'm working with you and, and your attitude is great and your skill is right on and you and I can't communicate, well, that's not gonna get better over time, that's gonna get worse over time. We're using Skype, we're using phone calls, we're using Zoom. If you and I are struggling right from the beginning, that's gonna lead to a lot of issues. So really the key, the first thing that we look for whenever we're hiring someone remote is strong communication, someone who can respond quick, someone who can get on the same page quickly without a lot of back and forth and actually get on, on the same point with the scope. People who, when personal issues come up, they lose internet, whatever it is, they're, they're proactive about it. They're reporting it. They're making up for it. That's really what the keys are. And, and like I said, I mean, for me, I kind of look for everything to hire remote. There, there's a sushi restaurant down the, um, down the street from me that uses free up as a client of ours and they don't hire chefs from us, but they hire people to do their social media work. And it just kind of goes to show that any business, even if you have a, a physical location can do a lot of things remotely. That makes sense. Nathan. I mean, one of the things that comes blindly obvious is we need people who have good communication skills. Because one of the downfalls of any, most of us have tried hiring freelancers in the past and have had great success and had some abysmal, embarrassing fails. And usually those embarrassing fails usually come down to the, to the communication. So I suppose my question is an expert freelancer personage that you are, is how do you go about testing that communications bit? Like how do you figure that out and how do you test them for it before making the hire? Yeah. I mean, we talk to them during the interview and we really look for red flags. That's what an interview is. I think a lot of people go through interviews differently than I would, where huh. they're looking for the right answers, right? I once took a, a college class where they told me how to pass an interview. It didn't necessarily teach me how to be a better employee or, or freelancer or whatever. And right. it didn't teach me how to do the job right. It just taught me how to pass interview questions. So people get those boilerplate responses. Oh, this is a good answer, blah, blah, blah. What I'm looking for is red flags. What is showing me that I'm going to struggle with the, the attitude of this person or they're going to get aggressive when something doesn't go their way. What are they saying that um, shows that they, they're not going to get on the same page quickly or what is their response time? Are they taking a long time in between questions? Were they late for the interview and they didn't give us any type of, of notice that, that their power went down? I'm looking for all the red flags throughout that interview process. Okay, that's interesting because the red flags thing, obviously, you can just end up with like this total thing. Oh, but, that, but because no one's perfect, like no one's, but you're looking for like, you're looking for those big red flags that you that make this totally unacceptable. That's interesting. So, um, okay, so we are looking at, uh, for me, there's sort of there's sort of three things we want to test when we're looking for somebody remotely for us. And I want to know like, have we got the right idea? You, you mentioned the first one, which is communication, but also, so you, you, you increase the level of communication and what, so what's the channels you use to do that? You mentioned sort of Skype and Zoom. Are there any other sort of communication channels that you use? I like to practice what I preach. Um, I, I keep it simple. I use a lot of free tools. I use Skype. I use Trello, which is for project management. For yeah. developers, I use Jira, which is kind of like a Trello for them. They, they like that for, for some reason. Um, I, I'll use Zoom for more podcasts or, or bigger meetings, even though I try to do, I try to keep everything on Skype. I use Google Docs for our SOPs. I can quickly share folders and 
pretty safe, pretty secure. And one of the keys is that there's three main communication channels and I teach people which communication channel to use for what. So I'll use Skype for day to day, for meetings, for conversations, for any type of project work. I'll use email for something that just needs to be responded to in the next day or next time they work. I, I won't try to have a conversation about a software upgrade via email back and forth. That, that's incredibly inefficient. And then there's Viber and WhatsApp, which is for emergencies. If someone's calling me at Viber on 2 a.m. because of a $25 issue, that's not a good use of that communication <laughs> channel. That can wait for me till tomorrow. So really establishing, hey, here are multiple communication channels. And I've seen a lot of people that they only use email or they only use Skype and it's not efficient. So here's a few and here's how, why we have three and this is how to use three. And especially when you're working with someone new, if they do make that mistake and they're calling me on Viber when it really can wait till the next day, then I need to reset those expectations. Okay. I mean, as the business grows and you hire maybe four or five people and those people fulfill different roles, you've got somebody who's maybe a designer and somebody else does videos and podcasts and somebody else is like in charge of customer support and somebody else is in charge of technical things. You've now got a bunch of different skills that are very much handled probably by different people. Do you try and get it to a point where you're communicating with each of those people about their thing? Or are you a fan of having a right-hand man, right-hand woman, right-hand person who effectively does the sort of down the line, if you like, communication with them? So you just communicate with one person and you have your meetings. Almost like a management structure. Like a management structure. Or are you like just going back and forth? Or would you recommend that somebody like us just go back and forth with Mm -hmm. the individual freelancers? I definitely have a management structure. I mean, I have 45 VAs now. So for me to manage 45 VAs doesn't make a lot of sense. I would go crazy. I would never sleep. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they do the flip. They, they only have one or two people and they're like, oh, I don't really want to communicate with a lot of people. I don't want to be in charge of stuff. Let's hire a project manager or a team leader when they don't really need that. They need to get better at communicating. They need to get better at managing people and leading and, and everything that goes along with being an entrepreneur. So for me, it just it, it's when that point comes and it could be five people or 10 people or 15 people where the most efficient way is not you communicating with everyone. And where you can't focus on the big picture stuff, the sales, the, span, the marketing, the expansion, unless, because you're in too many meetings, you're in too many conversations. And you need to really figure out when that happens, but you should definitely get a project manager or a team leader. Okay, that's interesting. So we've got communication. That's a big element of, being, of having outsourced workers. The other two elements, I just wondered what your sort of approach to this is, is that motivation and the engagement. Which so they, really go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. So we're going to deal with, them, deal with them as one sort of thing. Motivation and engagement. Because it's very easy to think that all I'm doing is throwing stuff at them and then sort of I speak to them once a week and they're not really staying motivated, staying engaged. We see peaks and troughs. When they first start, they're all on board about how awesome this is going to be and they're excited and they're grateful for the opportunity. And then over time, it's quite easy for people to get a bit disenfranchised. So what techniques do you have for keeping people absolutely on board, engaged, motivated, and excited about working together? So here's the key. Every single person gets motivated by something different. And if you don't know what motivates the people that you're working with, you're just guessing. You're never going to be able to figure it out. So you need to have real honest conversations with people. And it's different across the board. Some people care about money only. I tend to not work with those type of people, but those people exist. Other people care about title. They want that team leader role. They want to know that their title is going to change over time and they're going to get more responsibility. Other people want stability. Maybe they're a stay-at-home mom and a job that they can be flexible around their family. That is the number one important thing in their life right now. Other people and the people you really want are the people that believe in your company and your vision and your values. And that's really what becoming a leader is, is getting people to 
believe in what you're doing. I know that my team leaders, Cheeks, Marius, Jane, Layden, they are rock stars. And if someone came in and they offered them double as much as I'm paying them and I pay them pretty well, they're not going anywhere. They've been with FreeUp since the beginning. They've seen us grow. They, they're so passionate about and believe in what we're doing here that they bought in. And those are the real people that you want, especially in those leadership roles. It makes a lot of sense. One of the things that I think a lot of people outsource very quickly in their journey is customer support. Get rid of the customer support bit because it can be draining both time-wise and mindset-wise. How do you, you know, but that's quite kind of difficult to do. What's your advice on outsourcing customer service and customer support in the right way? So this is how I did it. And I'm a big fan of, of outsourcing customer support. Um, I have 14 customer service reps that they run 24 seven. They handle multiple channels, whether it's Skype, email, live chat, all of that. But as a starting point, I woke up every day and it would take me two and a half hours to clear out my emails. So I hired someone just to clear my emails out from 4am to 6am and they would tag what emails were left for me, anything they hadn't seen before. I'd let them know, hey, anything from legal, anything from accounting, don't respond to those, those get left for me. And I gave them canned responses for the most typical situations that we, that we have, and I gave them some fluff responses so that not every response seems like a robot and they can actually customize it. So every morning when I'd wake up, instead of spending two and a half hours clearing my emails, I would just wake up and they say, hey, Nate, we left these three emails for you and I get a two hour head start to every day. Now, that was great and it saved me a ton of time. And as our volume increased, I took that person and I made that I increased their hours from 10 hours a week to 20 to eventually full time and hired a second person and, and built up from there. But that initial person is going to teach you a lot about your business. You're going to start to see, hey, these are the type of emails I get. These are the type of canned responses I need. These are the type of systems I need to build out, hey, this is how we handle dispute. This is how we handle return. This is how we handle these questions that we get asked the same question five hours a day or five times a day. So that's how you kind of start building out your customer service team. Mm, mm. Okay. Now that makes, that makes sense. Okay, cool. I love it. So we're now going to go ahead and interrupt proceedings to play our little game here on Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. Here's how it works. My colleague Kennedy here. Hello. He's going to go ahead and sing a song for you now, Nathan. But he's going to sing a song in the style of a traditional British pub singer. And that means the words will be difficult for you to understand. Now, I've just chosen a song, a bit of a novelty one this week. This is not novelty. This is bloody awful. And I've just popped it up there on the screen with the lyrics for him. Although I'm sure you know them anyway. And the lyrics really don't matter. Uh, so we're going to go ahead. And, uh, and your job, and dear listeners at home, of course, as well, you, is to just to simply guess the song that Kennedy sings once he has finished. So, Kennedy, and we're not going to do the full song, you'd be pleased to know. Kennedy, take it away. <clears throat> okay, straight poker face. Poker face. <clears throat> it's not poker face. That's not the song. That's my favorite one I've ever done. Oh, do you think it does? Oh, um, yes. Nathan, any idea? I think it's my favorite. Oh my God. I'm not, I don't even think I'm that close. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, as parts of it, I was like, Oh, that kind of sounds familiar. And then it just went totally off track. It was actually right. Said Fred, I'm too sexy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The, the little beat there. I should have known that. I was like, I've definitely heard that rhythm before, but then the, that was fairly epic. Actually. It was yeah, a good choice. Yeah. That was really, really, really good. I like that. Yeah. Good. Excellent. No, so, 
looking at all of this, one of the things, the concerns I know I've had in the past with hiring freelance and outsource workers is they, we're going to give them access to stuff. Like they're going to have logins and passwords and technical things, and they could probably replace your website with something else and like all sorts of stuff. <laughs> so like, what do you do? Like from a legal perspective, these people are not employed by us. What's your approach to contracts? And, and we the- really just segued from I'm too sexy for my shirt into legals and contracts. <laughs> Where are you at with, yeah, contracts to make sure they can't particularly do anything? Uh, NDAs. And actually on the flip side of that, one thing I've heard from other people is if they do do something, actually, if they're overseas, particularly, then there's, there's, nothing you can there's do. not much you can do. So where do you sit on that whole thing? Yeah. And, and I totally agree. Listen, I mean, getting stuff in writing is great. Having contracts is great. Having an NDA is fine. Are you really going to chase someone across the Philippines over a piece of paper, over a, a few thousand dollars at most, maybe even less than that? Probably not. If that's your, your main element for protecting risk, it, it's not the best element. And obviously things change. If you're hiring someone in your country and it's a $50,000 project, then yeah, you should have legal agreements and you probably can have legal ramifications and, right. and stuff like that. But for the most part, and I own a decently large business, I'm, I'm still dealing with smaller contracts than that. If someone, if someone pulls a fast one and, and steals $5,000 from me, am I really going to spend the next three months fighting them to get that $5,000 back. At some point, it's not a great use of my time. And right. what people don't realize is, I mean, freelancers, virtual assistants, the average one, most of them care a lot more about their reputation, about keeping as a client, about providing for their family. In my case, it's so hard to, to get on the free up platform. Once they're on, they don't want to get kicked off. They want to get more clients from us. So, so, so it's about more, than that, about more than just the threat of legal people coming down on your head, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all, we all have worked with clients who the, their first reaction is threatening to sue. And I mean, knock on wood, that, that just usually doesn't happen. And as long as you have some kind of dispute resolution process in place, anyway, um, I mean, the, the number one way to really protect your business is to build relationships with the people that you work with. I've had people that I fired. I've had people who have quit on me and they didn't want to hurt me. I didn't want to hurt them. And, and we moved on. And that's going to overdo anything else you do. And yeah, you can have last pass and user permissions on PayPal and credit cards. And you should do the logical things to make sure that you don't hire someone and give them all your personal information on day one and build trust with them over time. But if you think that the, that, that, that one NDA is going to stop them from ever doing anything against your business in the future, I would rethink that position. And do you think there's some like some sensibility in sort of consciously siloing your business so that basically no one person knows the whole picture so they couldn't go and replicate everything? A bit like if it was if you were making Coke, you wouldn't let everybody know the complete formula kind of thing. Coca-Cola, right? Yes, Coca-Cola. Yes, it's not that kind of podcast. Yeah. Um so if 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 that was the case, do you do you consciously silo things or is that just not part of your sort of mindset? I do it. I mean, I divide and conquer. I have a billing team and they only do billing. I have a customer service team and they only do customer service. And I I do split it up. Am I secretly like planning every month? Like, oh my God, Marius, I cannot teach him anything about social media because if he knows this, he's going to know too much. Like that's not what's going (laughs) on. Then you have to to kill Marius off because he knows too much. Exactly. So (laughs) I, I wouldn't spend a ton of time as an entrepreneur with that, but I mean, diversifying is always good, whether you're doing stocks or revenue streams or, or hiring people, diversifying is good. It, it protects your business. Right. Yeah, absolutely. This has been fascinating. Rob and I, would, I mean, and we are obsessed with this kind of stuff and doing really good stuff and having really good cultures and stuff like that. So we I could talk about this, this all, all day. All day. I could talk about you all day. We probably will at some point uh, over a beer, I'm sure. But let's head into what we lovingly refer to as the quick fire round. Hey, hey. 
You don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers Podcast now on your podcast player. So first of all, Nathan, give us a book that you recommend. One of my favorite books is Start With Why. And it resonates with me personally. We didn't really get into my story here, but I used to be a big Amazon seller. I sold on Amazon for eight years. I sold baby products. It was a great industry. I got in it at a good time. At the end of the day, I was not passionate about selling baby products. I was just pushing products. I was making money. I was experiencing entrepreneurship for the first time. That got old after year four, five, six, seven, eight. And when I started free up, all of a sudden I'm helping people grow their businesses, pursue their passion. I'm helping freelancers from all around the world. We paid out $6 million to freelancers last year and people are showing me their cars and their houses and what they were able to do for their family because of the platform. And to me, that's a why. That's, that's something that you actually care about your business. And that book really kind of resonated with me because I, I know I can start multiple businesses. I'll pr- hope free up probably won't be my last one, but going forward, I need to make sure that I actually believe in what I'm doing, not just about how do I maximize the most money. I love that. And it, it links beautifully into the next question, which is about your top success habits. What's your, what's some of your, I, I, what did I say that? <laughs> top success. Yeah. I don't know. I think I had the word sex in it. So yeah. let's change direction. Let's do it again. What is your top sex habit? <laughs> what's your top success habit? It's gone smutty, hasn't it now? What is your top success habit? So for me, I realize that I am the most productive between 6 and 9 a.m. People aren't bothering me. I wake up early. I can usually start work within 10 minutes of jumping out of bed. That's just my personality. But what I would tell the listeners is find out what time of the day you're the most productive. Maybe it's from midnight to 3 a.m. Maybe it's in the afternoon after you had a power nap. Whatever that time is, you need to be maximizing that time every single day, every single week. And if business is what you're trying to pursue, you're trying to build that empire, then you need to be maximizing that as much as possible. And I, I go to the gym a lot. I tend to go to the gym at 5 p.m. when I'm done with the day because I know that even though it's nice to get that workout in the morning, if I spend from six to seven at the gym instead of working, I'm losing an hour that I'm most productive mentally for that day. I love that. And it goes just very quickly, even though this is a quick fire round, it goes against the thing that most people say of, oh, you know, if you don't get up at 5am, your business is going to be bankrupt and you're going to die. Just to say that that's a much better answer. Find the time where you work best and work then. Really, really cool. Give us an entrepreneur or a marketer that you look up to. (laughs) It's funny. I feel like I joined the the Gary Vee train so late that now I'm just kind of catching up with it. And I tend to just focus on his hiring mentality. And he has this great, this great way of just looking at hiring people where you're serving them, you're not talking down to them, you're not controlling them, you're figuring out how do I get the most out of this person and you're also taking responsibility when things go wrong. If, if Bob isn't performing, you're not calling Bob into the room and saying, how dare you, what are you doing wrong, like you promised me this, you're saying, hey Bob, like clearly what I'm doing is not working, what can I do to support you to get more out of you? And to me, it, I, I've kind of thought about these in different ways. I obviously manage a lot of people, but it puts us in, in a really cool way from, from an entrepreneur that, that everyone knows um, in a way that, that's a bigger business than me, that, that works on a bigger level once you're, you're, kind of, you're handling a lot more people. So I would definitely recommend if you're interested in hiring and working with people and becoming a better leader, check out Gary Vee, but more importantly, check out his hiring stuff. Yeah. And so what are some of your favorite apps that you really rely on? You think everybody else absolutely needs to know about this app? 
All right. So there's this app called WordBoard that I downloaded this year and it honestly saves me hours every week. And what I do is I get that. And like most entrepreneurs, I get asked the same questions all the time. Tell me about free up. How does billing work? Like yeah. what happens at this? And I just preload canned responses onto my phone. So if someone shoots me a Facebook message with a question, boom, I click a button. It gets thrown in there. I don't have to go to a notepad, copy and paste. Same thing. If someone's shooting me a text, I've got all my links, my podcast link, my Facebook group link, so if someone says, hey, I want to join your group, boom, I click a button and it sends them the link. And over the course of a week, that saves me countless hours and it's become my new favorite app of the year. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm doing something similar, but not with an app. I'm doing it sort of, yeah, rubbish compared to that. I'll be looking at the app in a bit. <laughs> Love it. Uh, now, big important question here. Who do you like more, red-haired Rob or platinum Kennedy? <laughs> oh, man, I, I'll go platinum. So I, I'm a big Yankee fan. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Yankee fans hate the Red Sox, so anything red, I tend to stay away from. Uh, yes. <laughs> and Rob doesn't wear socks either, so it's, <laughs> it's terrible, terrible. And finally, please go on, tell us, where can we go to find out more about you, what you're doing, and all that sort of good stuff? Yeah, so join my Facebook group, Outsourcing Masters. Um, we go to freeup.com with three E's. My calendar's right at the top. You can book a free meeting with me, create a free account, get a $25 credit to try us out. And we're a great place to go for hiring resources and, of course, to hire pre-vetted virtual assistants, freelancers, and agencies. I think Love Rob that. just left to sign up for an account. That's absolutely amazing. I'll Thank you so much. <laughs> Dude, was, thank you so amazing. much this is amazing honestly we can chat about this stuff all day long so I'm sure we'll have you back in the future to prod your brain a bit more <laughs> yeah. thanks so much cheers cheers and what a one to go out on such a great episode and a great success story knowing that what, what Nathan did not know at the time he was recording that is what amazing outcome was waiting for him just around the corner only a few weeks later. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so great. cool. Well, listen, if you've enjoyed this episode, and I know you have, go on. I know you have. If you want to check out the show notes, we've put them all together for you. You can go and see them for yourself with your own eyes at blog.responsesuite.com forward slash one zero zero. One zero zero. Look, I know we've all been very showbiz and all had a really good time, but genuinely from Rob and I, it means the absolute world that there are people all around the world who've never met us before and some who have, who've had the displ displeasure and unfortunate um, luck to have met us who would tune in every single week and you would give your time to share these times, these chats, our lives together over the past 100 weeks. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for being part of it. We're massively appreciated being part of this and so showing so much support to our guests. And we hope you've learned absolutely loads and you've implemented it too. If you don't want this to be the end of the journey with us, then we'd love you to come and join us over on the email marketing show. You'll find that on uh, over at blog.responsesuite.com slash show and also on your favorite podcast player. But thank you so much for being part of this. Yeah, the email marketing show is so exciting. We're glad to see you there. We're actually like 20 episodes in right now, 21, 22 episodes in. So you're going to absolutely love the content over there. Make sure you jump over and join us so we can continue to chat there. It's been a really week. good journey, hasn't it? I love this. This has been so, how many amazing people have we met through this? New friends, business associates, events we've been invited to. Like this has been so much fun. Yeah. Pat on the back for everybody for jumping on. And Thank you to all of podcast. our guests. Thank you to you for listening. And we'll catch you over on the email marketing show. Take Bye. Care. Don't miss a thing. Miss a thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsesuite.com.